This episode of the Better Two Podcast is brought to you by Kitty Mystic and DM Needham, author of My Days with the Dark Muse, as well as Love is Worth Waiting For. Hi, gang. Donna here. Thanks for tuning into the Better Two Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. B. We talk about his visual album that is coming out in 2023, but we don't only talk about music. We talk about him being a disc jockey, as well as his graphic novel and well, his interest in forensic psychology. So stay tuned. Hi, Dr. B. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. So you actually reside in Canada, correct? It's, yes, Toronto, specifically Toronto, Ontario. They don't normally, I mean, I know they're known for their, dare I say, Hollywood movie and television, but they're not really known. For, actually, it's more Vancouver, but yeah. music... You don't hear a lot about Toronto artists, at least here in the States. Well, I mean, we have Drake. I mean, so we, we have him. We're pretty proud of. Well, um, <laughs> but before Drake. And I mean, yes, yeah. maybe, I'm showing, oh, yeah. maybe I'm showing my age. Yeah. You know. No, 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 you're right. You're right. Before Drake, mm, there wasn't that many. But, you know, there are some pretty uh, well-known artists from Toronto uh, now. But, yeah. I have to agree with you on that. In Canada in general, right? Unless you're Celine Dion. Right? Or Brian, Brian Adams. Brian Adams. <laughs> or Brian Adams, right, right, right. But I mean, other than that, it was always like, you know, you don't hear a lot about who, you know, this Canadian artist. So that's why I kind of broached that and kind of stumbled where I said Vancouver, you know, Toronto and Vancouver. I know they're different places. <laughs> but long morning, long morning. Anyway, <laughs> we all have those days and I'm having one. Yeah. Anyway, so you are not just a musician, though. You also are a best-selling author and a forensic psychology student. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my book came out in, I think, 2017. It's a graphic novel, and it's about a holy war between God and the devil. So I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, it was a really cool and creative experience, and it, it really opened up my mind to uh, special effects. Uh, and I started getting into motion comics after that. And the cool thing about motion comics, it's kind of like making um, a short film. Mm -hmm. um, like in terms of like, you still have to do a lot of the work that you would normally do for like a regular film. And I was surprised by that when I first started getting into it, like the amount of work that was necessary for the audio alone. Uh, the special effects, and I realized I couldn't really find the right person to do it uh, the way I wanted it done. I mean, I could, but they come with a certain price tag, and, and I didn't have that money. Um, and the people I could afford weren't doing a good job, so I decided to learn and do it myself. And I absolutely, that, that was my favorite part of the whole experience. I mean, writing the story was fun, creating the characters, but doing the special effects sound Oh man, I just had the the best amount of time, and um, yeah, yeah, it was a great, it was it was great and fun. And then after that, I kind of hung up my hat for a while and said, let me kind of focus on school and studying. So, well, and and the thing is, you having to learn how to do it gives you a whole nother level of creativity that pushes you. And and you know, doing what you're talking about, 
that goes to what your, your next project is, which is a visual album. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing is it gave me a lot of confidence, like what I'm doing now with the visual album, because after I, um, my, my uh, graphic novel came out, um, I was actually hired by a couple of independent people, I think four companies to do specifically sound just for their comic and what they were doing. I didn't have anything to do with the writing, the storyline. My job was only to do special effects. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I felt like I'm working in Hollywood or something, even though I was doing most of it from my house. But the fact that someone was willing to pay me thousands of dollars just to do the sound. And I had uh, four of the people I was working with, a whole team. It was just so much fun. And so when I started working on um, uh, the visual album, right away I knew how to do it. And you're, you're right. Like because of my previous experience, I said, if I am going to do this, this is the way I kind of want to do it. Um, and the visual album and the audio album are actually different. Uh, the visual album, you get a completely different experience, right? Like some of the storyboards you see behind me, they appear in the, uh, on the actual album. But there's special effects and motion and there's voice actors involved. It's, 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 it's meant to sound very big and bold. Um, but when you hear the audio album, I changed it because I wanted it to sound kind of more like an audio movie. Like, because you're listening to it, you don't have, I can't rely on the visuals, right? right. There are no special effects. There are no, like, you, you're not going to see Ares and Zeus fly down from Olympus and, and there's all these explosions right, right, right. like that, right? But I can do the sound. Mm -hmm. I can do the sound and I can um, get a few actors involved and just make it sound like, holy crap, this sounds like a movie I'm listening to, but I'm on a bus on my way to work. Right. You know what I mean? That's, mm -hmm. that's what I'm really trying to do from an audio point of view is really have somebody close their eyes, whether they're on a bus, in an Uber, in their bedroom, lying in bed, wherever you are, but to close your eyes and just disappear into this universe that I've created. And for you to really feel, really feel an experience like the gods and all these characters and the special effects that I've created. So, so yeah, I'm working I, on that right now. I completely understand what you're talking about. Cause I mean, yes. And I've already out of myself that I'm older, um, <laughs> but I remember, so Star Wars came out. When Star Wars came out, you got to see it at the theater, and then you never got to see it again until they released it. It wasn't yeah. really out there for TV. And the public broadcasting service had a Sunday night radio show where they would do voice acting of Star Wars. Oh, and wow. you didn't have the visual, but you had it a little bit amped up with right. the sound effects and everything. So I understand completely what you're talking about. And it was something that, you know, even though you, cause I love star Wars, even though oh, you great. couldn't see it, you still got to hear it. Yeah. And, and so you get to feel it too, right? Yeah, it's like a yeah. different experience. You get kind of goosebumps and you're well, really into it. You know yeah. what I mean? You get a little nervous too. <laughs> well, I mean, think back to war of the worlds when it was a radio play and how it caused panic. I mean, the power of sound can cause, so many emotions when you take the yeah. visual out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, only, the only reason Blair Witch, okay, Blair Witch is an old movie now. Yeah. The only reason Blair Witch messed with me, I hate horror movies, okay, but I, I was stupid. I told my friend, she's like, <laughs> I want to go see it at midnight. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. I oh went anyway. Goodness. And I watched it like this the whole time with my hand over my eyes. And I looked at when they found the eyeballs, that was about it. And the sound and everything messed with my head. Yeah. And that's the thing. Audio can put especially if you're a creative person, it can yeah. get an image in your mind way more than the visual because the visual show gives you direction. Yes. 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 Yeah. You, you're really right about that. I mean, it's, um, it's something that I think most people don't think too much about, but if you really think about it, there's so many great and interesting things you could do um, with the audio, mm -hmm. you know, like when I first started working on this album, I didn't want to, um, like a lot of my fans asked me, like, I, I have 50, 52 songs released, but they're all singles. So, you know, obviously a lot of people ask me about doing an album. When am I going to put out an album? For me, I, I kept putting out these singles because I didn't want to just put out an album for the sake of putting out an album, right? I mean, everybody's has multiple albums out and those are great, but for me personally, if I was going to do it, I really wanted to do something unique, something different, something where people were going to say, holy crap, this is like really cool, right? This is unusual. So when I started working on it, I said, how can I really make this unique and different? And it's like you said, I really think it's the audio, mm -hmm. right? The music, like I've already performed all the music, recorded all the music. There's about like 19, 20 songs on the album. I finished it about maybe six months ago. Um, but as I was thinking about it and going into it deeper and I started working on the audio, um, the sound is so critically important and the special effects, like just have, I've noticed just having the lightning sound of Zeus. I mean, that right there, all you hear is, and if you close your eyes, you can almost see it. You can mm -hmm. almost feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important. So yeah, I'm having a great time doing that. I mean, as much as fun as I enjoy creating all the characters, writing the story, working with the voice actors. I mean, that's so much fun because, you know, they're in different parts of the world. They have different accents. Everybody's different and everybody's involved in the story, which I really, really appreciate. But for me, I think the best part is the, the sound department, like working on the special effects. I love having, like, I have a flat screen in my studio. And what I've been doing is, like, I'll put the images on the screen. I have it in a specific order. And as I'm working with the sound and the sound effects to look up at the screen and then work on another screen over here with the special effects, sync everything up, I, I feel like I'm Zack Snyder working on his latest movie. Like, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. I'm having so much fun. Well, and, th and that's the thing. It's like you have to storyboard these things out, especially when you're doing something yeah. uh, in a lengthy process. You can't just say, okay, I'm done. No, no, you got to storyboard the fuck out of it. You, <laughs> you got you to gotta do like a million. I mean, it's one thing when, think, you're, uh, when, when you're writing the story, you can, you can pantster it all the way through. But when yeah. you're trying to put it together in a visual concept, you don't have the luxury of doing that. It has to be set in stone at that point. Um, yeah, I mean... You know, like when, when I saw uh, Beyonce's visual album, which I think she pretty much invented visual albums, that was amazing, mm -hmm. right? It's We had some visual albums back in the 80s, but... <laughs> you did? Yeah. 
Yeah. Where's this? You'll have to show me. I've never <laughs> seen them or heard of them. First actual visual album ever to win a Grammy was Duran Duran. They had a self-titled VHS tape called Duran Duran, and they had very conceptualized videos that did not tell a full story from start to finish, but each video had a concept and a story to it. And this was in the 80s. Wow. Yes, I believe Whoa. 1983 or 84, they won the Grammy. Holy crap. Well, I was a toddler then. So. Well, see, this is what I'm saying. Just <laughs> yeah. as I had the phone No one law. told me. I, I was <laughs> too young. No one told just, me. Just as I, had, I didn't know about, I, I messed up earlier. And, you know, this is the thing. We come together. We learn. You there know, you we go. Bond, there you go. So anyway. Go. Yeah, no, it was, I thought, you know, just the idea of kind of um, working with actors and kind of like making a movie, but setting it to music. I think it's just. I think it's such a cool idea, but I also think it's the next evolution in music, Mm -hmm. right? I think, I mean, imagine if we had a whole category of just visual albums on Netflix Mm -hmm. just to watch. I mean, think about it. You could give opportunities to famous artists or unknown artists, but if they come up with a cool concept and the album's done and it's ready to be viewed, a lot of people would be interested in like these type of concepts, right? It, I, to me, you don't have to be famous to enjoy something like this. I think it's the story and whether it resonates uh, to you, right? Or whether or not you can really get into it. But yeah, I mean, um, when I started working on this concept, it originally started out just as a live show. Um, I was working on um, um, with a chamber orchestra, about eight to 10 musicians. And my idea was to tell this story, but at the time the story was very, it wasn't as detailed as it is now. And my idea was to tell this story like through these storyboards on these massive screens in the background, still do the special effects. Uh, There was was not gonna be any sound effects, like no lightning, nothing like that. And all the music in, then it would just be myself and the rest of the uh, orchestra uh, playing the music and pushing the story forward through the music and along with the storyboards. But because of COVID and at the time, there were so many inconsistencies with the opening and closing, um, I just felt like I couldn't control it properly, right? Like, I mean, one minute a venue is open, the next minute it's closed for three months. Uh, Also, rehearsing was starting to get kind of challenging. So I said, you know what, let me change it up a bit. And I came up with the idea of doing this visual album. And I said, you know, by the time I'm probably done, things will be much more stable with COVID and, you know, in terms of uh, touring and things like that. And, um, and then I could do something else like visually in terms of the performance, because now I have the album, I have so many more storyboards, I have a deeper concept, I can actually come up with a better live show uh, because of this. So yeah, that's how it all started out. But that's um, now we're pretty much, I think we've done maybe five, 600 storyboards. When I originally wow. started, I yeah. said, um, I'm only, I only need like maybe 30, maybe, maybe four, me you know, 20 or 30. Um, I think we're, we've, we've well passed over 500. Yeah. It grows. It grows. I mean, yeah. I, I have musical guests on my show. And after, when I started adding the songs onto the podcast, I, I was stuck with putting static pictures. Well, one artist was coming back for a second time and so I asked him, I said, is it okay if I take your songs and I'm going to sh- play and make a video? He's like, sure. 
and I got wrapped up in it. I it was just like I couldn't find. Oh, I did it for free. Cool. I did it for free, so I couldn't find the exact shots I wanted, but mm-hmm. I found some close. And it was just like it was this whole creative thing. But the problem was, I found myself at four in the morning finishing up the podcast to launch it, and it's like you should have been done this already. But I got <laughs> so in the groove, and I wanted everything to hit just right. That's cool. And it was like okay. So I had to, I had to kind of stop myself because I would have kept going. Yeah, so I, like, I hear you. No, no, that's amazing. That's really cool. Thanks. When was that? Um, Merchants podcast. It was earlier this season. Yeah. Um, actually, it was, I think April, uh, not April thirtieth, March thirtieth. So, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, I'm so, definitely gonna have to check that out. So yeah, I also, and then I, he's like, well, you have my permission to do whatever. So I put the videos up on YouTube. So they're there. And I mean, his video, his music's kind of 80 ish inspired. And nice. he, uh, I like he, that type of music. It's really cool. He actually had uh, John Taylor from Duran Duran co produce the record. So holy crap. That's amazing. Well, that's really awesome. His, he was on a show that his dad, his, he did a movie with his father, with Merchant's okay. Father. So that was the connection. And lo and behold, there you go. Well, Sometimes that's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a good record. It's got yeah. some good tunes. So that's awesome. Yeah. But so, what inspired the story? I mean, tell us about the story. What, you know, formerly you were known as the mad scientist. So I'm assuming that, you know, being the mad scientist, you have this very creative mind that you constantly are evolving into these different characters. So tell us about the story for the visual album. What inspired this? Um, I'm really heavily influenced by uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, The Witcher, those type of stories and shows. I'm uh, I gotta be honest, I'm kind of addicted to them. I think they're like the coolest thing okay. <laughs> ever. Um, so I, I would say the inspiration really came, you know, comes from that. My fan of those type of movies, TV shows, and comics. Like I'm a huge, huge comic book person. I've been reading comics since I was a little kid. I have like hundreds of comics still in my basement that I've collected. And um I guess for me, it all kind of started from there. When I, was, when I was working on the idea, as I said earlier, I really wanted to do something unique and different. Uh, one of the things I love to do is kind of time travel, like in my mind. I love different time eras and uh, different genres of music. And in my music, most of the time, my character, the doctor, it's about his experiences, different musical experiences through time. And in this time, it, it takes place in the 14th century. Okay. And in this world, the, um, my family's half Greek. So we're all about Greek mythology, Greek culture. Um, and I really, really wanted to do, I've always wanted to do something with the Greek gods. Like I've never done anything like that before. So I came up with the idea that in this world, the, the old gods, they've created earth, which I refer to as Terra. It's the earth realm. And in this world, there's 10 houses. Uh, the strongest house is the house of Helios, which is the house of dragons. For me, if I, as I was working on these characters, I just didn't want the dragons to be dragons, like flying around. I wanted them to be people. So in my story, you'll see the, some of them have wings. Some of them don't have wings. They look human, but like some of them 
especially the dragon queen, half her face, you'll see scales on her cheek and all going down her neck and her arm. Just enough. And the, her skin tone is, is off. It's like a whitish, greenish, light brown type of tone. But when you look at her face, she looks human, right? It kind of like messes with you a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute. You, you don't, you look okay, but you don't look normal. <laughs> like, right, what right. is this, right? I thought it was really cool. And um, in this story, then there's also her father, the God King, who also looks very different. I We were able to come up with these really cool original dragon logo designs that really represent the House of Helios. Like, I kind of looked at Game of Thrones and I loved the details that they put in it, right? Like, for example, every house kind of just different. Every house had their own uh, colors or banner. Every house has their own logo, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to do something like that. Like I wanted the characters to be really different, really stand on their own. And when you went into their kingdom and, or in their world, it was literally completely different from outside those walls or if you went into another kingdom. Um, one of the other houses is like the water tribe, right? They're, they're called the, 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 the people of the, the Nero. Nero means water in Greek. And these people are created by Poseidon. And there's, we came up with this really cool idea to have a massive battle scene and said, well, if they're really like water people, let's really show how powerful these people are, like what they could do with water. So we came up with this idea to do with this massive battle scene against uh, the Dark Elves, but it takes place underwater. And I thought, well, when you're underwater, everything is moving slowly, right? Mm-hmm. So how can we really speed it up but slow it down how can we really make this more action-packed since things are moving kind of slow so we i I don't want to give too much away but there's some really cool um concepts we came up with like these underwater uh, like tornadoes that are zipping around and we even were able to incorporate uh different lightning and different effects and in this world it's heavily influenced by uh, magic and dark magic right Mm-hmm. And everybody can learn magic, but just like uh, most people, some are better at it than others. Some have a natural gift for it, for it than others. So the doctor in this story, he's also a master, not just of music, but also of dark magic. And it really starts off at the queen's 209th birthday. The, her father, the God King, invites everybody in the world for this big birthday bash. They invite the doctor down to play down this amazing music. And the queen, she grows quite fond of the doctor and she, is, she asks him to stay for a couple of months. They start spending a lot of time together. And after two, three months, the queen realizes that her real love is for war. These dragons, they love war, they love conquering. They realize there's an opportunity to take another kingdom, like they can control five kingdoms. So they have an alliance with another house called the giants. And with the giants, and the dragons, they have this, when they work together, nobody could beat them. It's impossible. So she sends the army of the giants and the dragons to another house to attack them. The giants request the doctor to come with them because they want him for entertainment on this big, long journey. And then everything really kicks off from there. You see this massive battle scene that takes place. Then the doctor eventually meets the old gods. And then he discovers that there's a new war that's about to happen between the old gods and the new gods. So 
yeah, I don't want to no, say too and, much more, and, no, but no, yeah, no. And, there's and this big plot that Ares realizes he wants to be king of Olympus and he wants to kill his brother Zeus. So he creates the new gods. And there's this big battle that takes place and it all kind of, it's like Fair a story enough. within a story. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so when did you decide that music was something you wanted to do? Oh, man. Uh, you mean professionally or in Just, general? in general i mean you know you did you were you were you a baseball player and then one day said hey you know i really want to do this i mean you hear stories about people being in sports and then in high school saying well you know i really decided to try out for acting and that's where my passion is i don't want to play sports so where where did that where did you find that out i think it just evolved over time i mean um when i was a kid uh my brother and i we grew up really abused by my mom and one of the things that just helped me get through those really bad times uh, was listening to the radio. Okay. When I was a kid, like I didn't have a cassette recorder, vinyl, nothing at that age. I was only like maybe eight. Uh, but I had this small little radio next to my bed. And every night I would listen when I go to sleep, I'd listen to classical music and chamber music. And it always made me feel better. I never understood what the hell they were saying because it was always in Italian. Mm-hmm. But I just loved it. And on Saturday nights, they I would tune into another radio station. It was uh, Mix 96 in Montreal. And they would play house music okay. for hours and hours and hours. And I loved it. I, I was just, just, <laughs> yeah. I was just rocking out all night, right? When I got a little older, around 15, I really, really, or I, I should say earlier than that, like around 11 or 12, I was really into hip hop. But around 15, 14, I was obsessed with DJ Jazzy Jeff and the scratching and the turntables. I, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So there's a DJ in Montreal, his name's Mike Mission. And he would DJ every Saturday night from seven to nine. And he would always do the best mixes and scratches. And I would say to myself, I just want to be like Mike Mission. Like I want to play like him. Well, when I became 16, I got my very first set of turntables and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> it was, like, I mean, I got these turntables. I didn't leave my room for three months, maybe four months. I was practicing every day, all day. And then eventually I got really good to the point where I started meeting some other DJs in uh, Montreal. Um, I met this uh, good friend of mine. His name's Red Red. And when I became, I think I was 18 at the time, 18 and a half, he, Red Red was one of the most popular DJs in the city of Montreal uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Anyways, um, I met him through a friend of mine and we hit it off and, he, you know, he knew I was, I was a DJ. He started uh, DJing in a hip hop clothing store in downtown Montreal on St. Catherine Street. See, the owner of the store wanted to do something different. And she told me, like, we had this conversation, like, uh, about a year later, but she told me she she brought uh, Jason in, which is Redred, to really jazz up the store, bring in more people, blah, 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 put on a show. So I would practice every day. After school, I would rush down to the store and hang out with Jason for four to five hours, all hoping, hoping, hoping he would let me get on the turntables just for five minutes. Understand. Right. Never asked him. Mm -hmm. I was just hoping. 
And I went down there every day and every day he never asked me, never said anything. And then one day after two weeks of showing up every day for hours and hours and hours and carrying his records like his, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> I would carry his records. I'd do everything for him. He says, hey, John, I got to go to the bathroom, man. You want to get on the turntables? I said, what? 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 Okay. I didn't know you used the bathroom. I mean, I never saw you leave, but okay. I thought there was diapers involved. Yeah, yeah. So I always, and here's the thing. I, I brought my record bag with me, but I had like six or seven records, like this specific set that I re like rehearsed. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I had it with me and I said, I'm just in the, in the event he asked me, I'm ready. So he finally asked me, I jump on the turntables. There was, there was like maybe 10 people in the store. It wasn't a lot of people. Uh -huh. So I get on there. So I took outside and I and I go rock the beat. And I'm and I'm scratching, like I'm playing it with my hands, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going rock the beat. And as I'm doing my little set, my little performance, I look up. There had to have been 35, 40 people standing around. Wow. I, I had no idea. People were even standing there. I was like so into my own little world. Yeah. So when I was done, they clapped and I was like blushed. I was like, mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed. I had no idea anybody was there. And um, Jason came back. He's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. I was just fooling around the turntables and they apparently liked what they saw. So he's like, oh, okay, cool. So you didn't suck. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, so then I, I like... I let him take over. So I, you know, I moved off to the side. Then the owner of the store came over to me mm -hmm. and she says, Hey, listen, I noticed you were pretty good on what you were doing there. I was like, Oh, thank you. She's like, Jason doesn't do that. And I'm like, okay. She's like, no, he doesn't do that. I tell him to do what you do, but he can't do that. And I'm like, okay. She says, well, what I'm trying to say is when you were doing that, there was a lot more people in the store. Jason does it. And there's less people in the store. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, would you like to come back next Saturday for like three, four hours? I'll pay you. I was like, what? You'll pay me. Wow. And it all started. And it all started from there. From there, I ended up getting my own record store. Uh, another, um, I got a lot more gigs and uh, somebody saw me perform and literally offered me um, about maybe 500 square feet in his own store wow. and said, this is dead space. I'm not using it. Most of the stuff, it's just stuff we have on sale. I think we could make more money if we turned it into a store within a store and we'll bring in more people in. And when people come in, they're here, right? They're, they're coming to see me. They're coming to see you. We both have an opportunity to make sales. And it was the right demographic. It was like a, a skateboard shop. So a lot of skaters came in, snowboarders, things like that. And we made a killing. It was, it was an awesome time. But that's really got me into, um, that's how I met the executioners who were like these DJ gods. Uh, they came down to Montreal. I ended up meeting Mr. Sinister. We became good friends. He actually stayed on my house for a while. And I was a good DJ and I could scratch, but there was something missing and i started hanging out hanging around with mr sinister his name's joey and when he came to my house 
I, he started teaching me some things and oh my God, my skills went from here to here, like within like two days, it was like scratching and performing with a legend is an experience that I, it's really hard to describe. And yeah. for him to look at me and say, Hey man, you're pretty good. Like <laughs> you don't suck. You're awesome. I mean, it's just something that I could never get past because I'm like, he's so good. Why would he think I'm good? And Wait. from there, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, from there, he introduced me. Um, he was signed to Loud Records at the time in New York City. From there, he introduced me to a whole bunch of executives uh, at Loud and some other labels. And from that point on, I was offered a record deal. Uh, they, they, I was just trying to get one artist signed, but they offered me an entire label. So I was like, oh, crap. So I'm like, oh, man. So I guess I really have to do this now. And uh, <laughs> so from there, it all started from there. And then from there, I signed a whole bunch of artists. And um, we worked with Rockefeller uh, Records, Jay-Z's people. We worked with uh, Swizz, uh, all kinds of people. But I, 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 that's how I really got into music and um, uh, on a professional level. But I wasn't happy. It, I, was, I, was very, um, I was very miserable. The, the music that I was required to make or had to make had to be a specific sound. And back then it was very, you know, play a role. Like you're the CEO of the label. So you have to do this and you have, to, and I'm like, guys, I just want to make house music. And they were like, what the hell is that house music? What are you talking about? Right. So it was a very, um, it, it wasn't very fulfilling for me. There was, we had a lot of great moments and we achieved a lot of great things. Um, I won a couple of, of awards as a DJ, but I mean, it just wasn't for me. So I left the music business um, and went back to Canada and I started and I didn't do any music for years for a really long time because it, it had I had so many bad experiences in the music business. It just put a bad taste in my mouth. Like I didn't even want to look at my turntables. I didn't want to look at a record. Yeah, um, I, I just didn't want to talk about it. And I thought I was going to be okay. I thought if I shut that part of my mind, my soul, my spirit off, I'll be fine. No. Um, that's not true. Mm -hmm. If you're an artist, you need to create something. You need yeah. to do something. And if you don't do something, it's going to come out in bad ways. <laughs> it's going to, like, you need to throw paint on a wall. You need to do something. I'm a, I'm a writer. And if I don't write, it starts getting to me. And I know that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think, I don't think as a young creative, we realize that, but as we. Oh, no, 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 you don't. Yeah. You yeah, don't. And as soon as we start really taking it seriously and then we, we get a bad taste or whatever, and we step away or life happens, there's that, I don't want to say itch, but there's that gnawing. That's like, you better do this. This is your no, passion. Yeah. It's like, it's in the back of your mind. Yeah. Right. Sometimes yeah. you don't even know what it is. Yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that I'm like, I create things, right. I'm an artist just like you, just like so many people. And it's just who we are. Not everybody can do what we can do. Um, but for some reason, we have this ability to do it. And we, it's part of who we are. It's really part of our like soul. It's part and of if we DNA. don't do it, yeah, if we don't do it, it just, I think it's, it's, it's almost like a slow death. Like, like you don't feel like yourself. You don't feel the best version of yourself. Do you know what I mean? And for a long time, I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was, I was 
unhappy. I was unfulfilled. And I wish somebody would have just told me, hey, John, just go make a song and you'll be okay. <laughs> well, I mean, for, for me, it's like if I don't write, my characters will start, you know, waking me up in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. It's like, dude, I'm tired. And it's not that I wake up with them. It's like, I'll get up, go to the bathroom. And it's like, I'm ready to go back to sleep. But then as soon as my mind is alert enough, if it just gets a hint of a thought, that's it. I'm up for the next two hours. And it's like, really? I would like <laughs> just to go back to bed now. But it's three o'clock in the morning. So no. You can stay up <laughs> so no. <laughs> and, you know, but it's like, here's the problem. And, and I'm sure as a creative, you do this. You want to do it. You want to create something so badly. But then when you sit down to do it, there's nothing. Yeah, I think we all get to that I've, or, or have had that experience at some point. I've definitely had uh, writer's block. I've definitely, or is there a such thing called music block? I mean, yeah, I would think so. I mean, yeah. I, I, would <laughs> think, I would think even any artist would have that block. It's like, um, I have friends that are painters and they tell me that yeah. they get so wrapped up in the perfectionist idea that even though the painting's done, they keep painting because yeah. they, they just, so it's, it's the same thing with music or writing. It's like, you can overwrite, you can overpaint. Then That's a the hard time, thing to do. Yeah. Then, then there's the time when you have nothing to give, but yet your body's like, come on, you got something, but up here it's like, yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's a little challenging trying to, to know when to stop, mm -hmm. how much is how much, right? How much is too much? How much is too little? Um, are people going to like this? Are they going to hate it? Am I the worst thing that's ever been invented? I mean, you know, like. I, I think, it, <laughs> well, I think that's where you have to come down to the point where you say, okay, am I writing this for the world or am I creating for this for the world or am I creating this for my soul? Because. Mm -hmm. You're never going to, and this is where the fine line you have to consider because you're never going to have a hundred percent of people liking your stuff. Sure. It may blow yeah. up, it may, but and I bring Britney up a lot, just like Britney Spears. She had the pinnacle of her success, Okay, but yeah. then they love to tear her down. And I know everybody, yeah, everybody's atoned for that and said, oh, it's, but yeah. if you look back at the height of her fame, yeah. everybody went for dare I say the Frankenstein monster, we, we were all pitchfork and everything going after, oh, she made this mistake. Put yourself yeah. in her age and then having to go through that. And it, as a creative, because she was a creative, definitely, it's going to affect you. How many creatives have we heard about being alcoholics, being in drugs, yeah. having breakdowns? How many times? Yeah, I've seen, I actually personally seen that uh, quite a bit in the studio. I won't name any names, but it's a shame that most people don't realize that people are people, you know, uh, a lot of people see people on TV or something else and they forget they have feelings mm -hmm. and emotions and they have moms and dads and brothers and sisters, just like you and I do. Um, and it's also difficult on their family, right? Mm -hmm. Things that they have to endure and hear and listen. Uh, you got to take the good with the bad, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. for me, from a music point of view, I guess not even a music point of view. I think if whatever it is you create, uh, whatever it is you're doing, I realized I was able to get through my funk. And now I really don't have blocks or, or I don't get into moments where I'm unsure anymore. Uh, the reason why is because 
I only go and make something when I really want to make something. I don't do it for the sake of doing it. I definitely don't overdo it because you can overdo it, like overcreate, over, like, you know what I mean? Overdevelop. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're done, I think everybody needs to just have one final thought. And that is, I stand by this. I stand by this shit. It doesn't matter if you don't like it or he doesn't like it, she doesn't like it. That, it doesn't matter. This is dope. This is 100%. I stand by this and I'll put this up against anybody's work that's out there. I don't care if you're Dr. Phil or Dr. Who, it doesn't matter. I stand by this. That's really how I approach my music. I, when I create something, I ask myself when I'm done, is this it? Is this, our, do I stand by this? If I say, yeah, man, this is it. Like, I don't care what you say. I don't care if you don't like it. I like it. And I know my fans are going to like it. And that's how you have to get to that mm -hmm. point, that stage. Once you get to that stage, and don't overdo it. I'm not saying be overly confident. I'm just no. saying you have to stand behind your work. And when you're out there talking about it, promoting it, you should be proud, yeah. right? And, and that will um, translate. And it'll, mm -hmm. it'll resonate to everybody listening and talking with you. They feel that energy. And they're like, okay, cool. Even if they, they don't like it, it's okay. I tell people all the time, it's okay if you don't like my music. I have over 50 singles released. Pick one. Right. right. And if you don't like any of them, that's okay too. Maybe you'll like the next one. And, right. And, and, and then maybe you won't. And, it, and, and it maybe, maybe you is, won't, but that's okay. That's the thing. It's like you have to get to a point where you're okay with it. I remember the first time I got the lowest, the lowest review I've gotten on a book is three stars. And the woman wrote that's the review. Pretty good for, that's well, pretty yeah. good for a low review. Well, yeah. Well, well let me, let me, let me continue here. So I mean, it's not like it was negative. No, stars, right? no, it's fine. It, it, out of five stars, it was three. I was okay with that. And, and the right. woman wrote that she hated the book and she hated the characters and she couldn't believe she finished it. Wow. And I, I told this to my husband and my husband's like, are you okay with this? I'm like, well, yeah. She, he goes, why? I said, because no matter what, I still invoked it or invoked an emotion in her. Yes. Hate yes. It's an emotion. Yes. Yes. And, yes. And so yes. it gets better because after my yes, husband yes. passed. Oh, I'm I so sorry. No, I'm, it, I'm sorry it's been two that. years. It's, it's okay, but thank you. Um, but after the, my husband passed, I re-released the book, had it edited and everything. She bought it again. Oh my goodness. The same person, the same person. She bought it again. She cleaned out the other review. She wrote another three-star review and wrote very strange. And, and I, hmm. I, I kind of chalk this up to Moulin Rouge. The first time I saw Moulin Rouge, <laughs> let me finish. <laughs> I, I, first time I saw Moulin Rouge, I, I hate to admit this, my friend had a bootleg copy of it and we watched it. I'm like, what the hell is this shit? Right. The second time I watched it, I was like, well, wait a second. This is pretty good. That's one right. of my favorite movies. Oh, look at that. So it, it, and it, I mean, it had, I'm sure, a lot to do with the fact that it was a bootleg copy, but there are right. still two things that bother me. Roxanne does bother me, and Like a Virgin bothered me, me in that movie, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great visual movie. Right, right, and that, right. That's, that's the, the colors and everything. It's a visual movie. And so it's like getting a three-star review, and I'm not, you know, I could have had worse. And if I do, and that's the thing, you have to get to a point where you're going to, you, you understand that. I get a one-star review, I get a one-star review. It's not on me. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's definitely not, right? 
And it's like we said before, not everybody's going to be into what you're doing. Well, right? and, and somebody, somebody actually, another author had posted this. Somebody gave her a one-star review. And the oh, whole okay. reason, wait, the whole reason for the one-star review was they didn't like the genre the book was in. They didn't read the book. And they even admitted they didn't read the book. They just don't like the genre. That doesn't, I don't, no. I don't, I don't understand how that makes any sense. It doesn't. Well, it's called, it's called, I have a keyboard. I have a power. I'm going to affect your ratings just oh, like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's the way reviews work, isn't it? I mean, I can, I, if I don't like you, I mean, how many people have you heard? Well, I won't go see this movie because this actor's in it. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people don't like certain actors. I could definitely understand that, but yeah, that, that's that's a that's a bizarre review. It is once <laughs> just because I don't like the genre that it's in. But I mean, this I, is what it sounds what like. Get, he or she may need a hobby <laughs> of some kind. Well, that's what I'm getting at. People will trash things, whether it be music, acting, books, or whatever, just because they have the power of the keyboard. Yeah, I, I was yeah. on a po- I was on a podcast and it was live, and this person came at me because they swore I had a filter on, and I'm like, or I'm like, I'm not using a filter. I had makeup on and I have lighting. Well, it looks like you have a filter. Well, that, of course, triggered off some other people to say, oh, yeah, it does look like you have a filter. And no matter okay. how much I denied it, it didn't help. So then at the end of the podcast, because I was co-hosting, I brought up bullying, cyberbullying. And then as we fast forward a little bit after we got offline, this person took it upon themselves to direct message me. Really? Yes. Yes. It was. I'm assuming it wasn't kind. No, they said that most likely I hated everybody's opinion except mine. And I'm Mm. like, you don't even know me. Um, And the funny thing is, their profile picture was of a symbol. It wasn't even a picture. So you're coming at me when you're hiding. Hiding big time. You see, you can't win. No. It's like you said, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how honest you're being, transparent. People are just going to say whatever they want, uh, Mm -hmm. do whatever they want. Uh, if you're going to be unkind, you're just going to be unkind. Uh, for me, I, I, I don't engage at all. Pe- I mean, I think uh, that's what drives a lot of people crazy because they'll say like, Dr. V, you're an effing asshole. Okay. I, I, I don't even, I don't, I never respond. I don't engage. I don't because when I'm on social media, that's not why I'm on social media. If you check any of my accounts, you'll see that I don't follow anybody on Twitter. I don't follow a single person on Instagram. I follow 20 people and they're literally people that I know personally. Well, and I that- don't follow anybody else because I'm not there to follow anybody else or, or to see what they're doing. And I'm not trying to come off no, uh, arrogant in any way. I'm just saying that I use social media for me, for what I believe it's good for, for me. It's good for letting my fans and followers know what I'm doing. Here's my music. I have new music dropping. Here's some new artwork, storyboards. That, you know, I, I share I, a couple of funny clips. That's it. I don't, and I'm not, I'm in and out, in and out. I, I 100% agree. And, and I have to say this though. I'm glad I had that experience with her mm. because what that did was teach me it's not worth the effort. You're not oh, going totally. to win this battle. Totally. So now if it ever happens again, I'm just going to be like. Yeah. 
yeah, you gotta you gotta just dust it off and just move on. There is absolutely no mm-hmm. winning with with those people. And some people just love to hate. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but they must be very unhappy. It gives them power. It gives them power to hate. It you know, it, it gives them this energy that they can. They're in control. They can knock you down. It goes back to the Britney Spears thing. Yeah, we'll built you up to tear you down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that, a that's an crazy. unfortunate thing. And there's one thing I want to when we're talking about the visual album, there was something I wanted to tell you that popped in my head. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Pink I mean, Floyd that, is sorry, Pink, I didn't. I, sorry, the the Wall. Yes, their whole album is visual, and it's a movie tie-in, and and it was all created together. Well, I didn't see it, but I'm definitely going to, you, you put me on to some new stuff between that and the VHS tape. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm an old, my head is spinning. My head is spinning now. Now I don't know what to do. I'm the old broad. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> oh but, no. Do you, do you, I don't know how old you are, but whatever age you are, you definitely don't look it. So I'm 54. No, so, you don't look bad. Well, no, thank no, you. you look great. Thank you. thank you. But I mean, it's, that's the thing though. It's like, because, and I'll go back to why I'm not a big, don't know a lot about Drake and everything. It's like, after my husband died, it's kind of like I haven't fully immersed myself in everything new. It's yeah. like you're still healing and you have to go through that process. Before I let you go, though, I do want to talk to you real quick. So what is forensic psychology and what is the interest there? Um, well, my uh, wife and I, we own um, several mental health clinics um, throughout Ontario. And um, most of our locations are in Toronto. Um, and my wife has been a registered psychotherapist and she's a clinical director, um, but she's been a registered psychotherapist for, I think, 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so my interest in therapy really started with her uh, and, and learning about psychology from that point of view. But, you know, as I started getting more experience and um, dealing with the clients and just, you know, learning as much about psychology as I can, especially through our, our office, I realized that um, I don't enjoy the average everyday little things, right? Like a lot of people come in there, they have a lot of anxiety, they have depression, um, maybe they're, um, they need relationship counseling, it goes on and on and on. That really doesn't get my mojo going do you know what i mean I'm like yeah mm-hmm. i have a client who has anxiety yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean now yeah. now uh, again i say this with all due respect i know people have serious problems you know it's what we do every day but for me as a therapist there are so many different ways for you to spend your nine to five it's just not how i want to do it right mm-hmm. my wife loves that uh, her her specialties in relationship counseling. Oh my God, she's like amazing. And um, she, I see her put back so many families together. I've seen her take apart so many people and put them back together. She really is like, I look up to her so much and she really is my inspiration. Um, and I really wanted to help people the way she's helping people every day. Like every day she saves lives. And I wanted to do that. Um, but I didn't want to do it in that way. For me, I love um, the worst of the worst. I love like just horrible situations. Why? I don't know. I don't. I, why do we gravitate to the dark sometimes? I'm not really sure, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like those. I'm very interested with uh, the idea or the concept. For example, say you have somebody who has a family. Uh, children, 
Um, they're living out their regular daily lives. Dad gets kids ready for school, takes them off to school, kisses them goodbye, waves a couple of times to, you know, the other parents, teachers, walks home, goes right into his basement and starts building a bomb to kill as many people as possible, including children. Mm-hmm. For me, that, I mean, think about that for a second. You have an, an individual now who understands the value of life, who understands mm-hmm. what he should do as an adult and a parent, right? He mm-hmm. has children. He's getting them ready. He realizes they need to be in school. They need to be educated. This is part of society, part of life. It's also the law. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing, his requirements. But at the same time, he still can justify his behavior by taking life, mm-hmm. even though he values life. Mm-hmm. But he thinks it's okay to kill other children, children he may even know. That to me, I find that fascinating. I find that amazing that somebody could live their lives normally and still wreak hell on earth, just, just, just still do some of the most horrible things you have ever heard uh, in your life. I find that amazing that somebody could not just kill somebody, mm-hmm. but say, I need to decapitate them. I well, need to go one step further. Right. And right. I, here's Those type thing. of cases, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just really interested in them. I'm fascinated by them. I'm fascinated by how their mind works. I'm fascinated by the justification of their behavior, their reasoning. Uh, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the way they see the world, right? Well, they see the world through a specific filter. Uh, I mean, and most of us don't see that world. like No. And, and when you're dealing, but here's the thing, when you're dealing with men, the mental issues, mm-hmm. um, my mom committed suicide. And I know oh, for I'm a fact, so that's another 40 year thing. Never mind. Right. <laughs> it's fine. But the, the fact is, everybody saw her just as you described that guy except for her, her, me and my grandmother, we saw the truth. Everybody else on the outside saw her. Oh, she's excited for your wedding. She's excited for this. So it's actually 30 years, but she was excited mm-hmm. for my wedding. She was excited for all these other little things. Nobody saw her depression. So I think when you're dealing with somebody, whether they're criminally insane or somebody that's suicidal, they have this very good way of masking things. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. In our, our society, especially you know, prior to the embracing of mental health, you had that whole wall of you better put up a good front so nobody knows. Right, right, right. I yeah, it's um I'm very happy and excited that um mental health isn't as viewed the same way it was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Or 20 years ago. Um people really are paying attention to warning signs. And I, I think it's amazing how people are like, they'll encourage family members, friends, you know, you should talk to somebody, you should, you know, maybe go see someone and, and resolve some of these issues. But um, yeah, I mean, that's why we do what we do every day. We try to save and help as many people as possible. And, uh, you know, as, as proud as I am of my music and some of my accomplishments, I think when it comes to psychology, that's the thing I'm proudest of the most. I mean, other than my kids, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, I, like we do such great and important work uh, with the clinic. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's like when I think about some of the cases, like I mean, we have like some rape victims that that have come in there. Some some stories will just break your heart. They'll just make you cry, right. you know. And um, there's been countless of times my wife quit. I can't tell you how many times she quit. And every day she she quits, I give her a hug, and we have a conversation, and she realizes um, they need you, right? Um, they need help and you are that important to the clinic and to the people of Toronto and the work that we're doing. So yeah, sometimes we could bring the work home with us and it's a little difficult, but um, we got to, you know, keep going and moving forward because if we don't do it, who will? True. Right. And, and that's the thing. It's like you, you, it's going to naturally get to you. It's going to tear you down because you're giving so much and you're hearing so much about trauma. I remember I was on a, I, I was on a creative high. I was almost finished my first book. I was on a creative high and I got a phone call saying that one of my long-term friends, her husband had shot her and then killed himself. And oh my God. We're, we're thinking that it was medication based, but the whole fact of the matter was she was on the phone with her daughter. And when he did this and he was jealous of the grandbaby, which is just crazy in all of itself. Wow. But it's like, you don't think about these things. And yes, I actually, my, one of my other friends and I have talked about this. I, I am a, a suburban white woman, and yet I can name many instances of gun violence in my life. You would wow. think that I was an inner city person because my half-sister was murdered by her husband and her kids were murdered by him, and then he killed himself. So oh it, it's like, I just, I look at these things and it's like, I see how these, you know, nobody ever thought these people that there was anything wrong with them. Right. And yeah. that's the thing about it is we, we, we hide and nobody was willing to be honest about, I'm not feeling right. You know, I, I would talk to somebody yesterday. Cause I was, when I was diagnosed with uh, fibro, they put me on Cymbalta. And because okay. I had the mother I had after three days of feeling after three days of taking the pill, I start thinking, well, my husband would be better off without me. And it's like, oh no, 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 no. This is not you. This is the medication. But yeah. how many people don't recognize that? And that's, that's the unfortunate thing. We, we have medications that have black box warnings, but we don't really talk about those black box warnings. And the black box warning is usually suicidal thoughts, but there's a caveat to that. That also says homicidal thoughts. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Unfortunately it's um, that can be scary. That can be very scary. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had to uh, take some, some medication for uh, my shoulder. I had like an old uh, injury mm -hmm. and it didn't he heal right. And it was, it was hurting so much. Like it would wake me up in the middle of the night. Like I literally couldn't sleep. I was in that much pain. I went to the doctor. He wanted to prescribe me everything in the world. And I said, so uh, doc, what's the side effects like? She was like, um, suicide. Um, he, he mentioned several, but he did mention uh, suicide stuck out to me. Um, then he said something like aggressive behavior, like your emotions could mm -hmm. go out of whack. I said, yeah, no doc, I'm not going to take that. Um, can I take something else? He's like, well, I can give you medical cannabis. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. We yeah. have a winner. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, sign me up. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's like, I got off the Cymbalta and I remember my husband had gotten, they put him on, I think, gabapentin for his neuropathy. And he started feeling out of whack. So he went to the doctor because a, a PA had given it to him. 
we went to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you realize it's got a black box warning. And we're like, well, what is, you know, and she told us about the suicidal. I always knew about the suicidal, but then she added the homicidal and it was just like, oh my gosh. Okay. Nobody ever talks about that Avenue. And when you even see it on mm-hmm. TV, they always say suicidal thoughts. We don't yeah, say yeah. homicidal thoughts, but when no. you think about it, I mean, especially being in the, the psychology industry, those two things can go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. They they definitely can. And you got to be careful. I mean, it's very, very scary. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times um, we've had cases of uh, clients at the clinic who like after we started seeing them and talking with them and we become part of their their healthcare team. It's literally countless of times we have to go back to the psychologist or the, um, sorry, not the psychologist, the psych- psychiatrist or the family doctor and get the medication adjusted. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many people are, are on meds with these insane side effects. And I don't understand why the side effects are so extreme. Like we can't make these drugs like safer. I mean, yeah. Do we really need to include, you know, the blackout homicidal tendencies? I mean, that's, it seems kind of extreme to me, but you know. Well, and then you also have to consider everybody's chemical, brain chemicals are a little different. Yeah. Yeah. That does. It does affect some medication can affect people differently. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, cause I can take, a, I can take something and it'll stay in my system way longer than it should. So yeah. I don't take anything. It's like I try to stay away from any kind of medication. Oh, really? If I hurt, I hurt. Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. if I, same thing with, okay, medical cannabis. I can have, I make my own cookie. I can have a cookie. If I have two cookies in a row, my mood starts tanking. And I know most people don't have that experience, but that is my, my dilemma. If I have it two days in a row, I notice that my mood starts to tank. So it's like, really? I don't need this. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, mean, I guess that's that- because I'm sensitive. Well, yeah, now that's your body saying, okay, we've had enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I um, I'll i tell you what, next time you make cookies, I'll eat the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the milk. <laughs> it's just my, my husband had medical cannabis and it's like he would smoke it and it, he shouldn't have been, but he was trying to help with his depression because he was on the maximum dose of Effexor and he knew mm-hmm. he was dying. So at a certain point, um, what am I going to do? I tell him not to smoke it. And it's like, uh, he's enjoying his ride. Well, smoking it, was it making him feel worse? Or No, no. But he had been on oxygen prior. And he got oh. off on oxygen and he started smoking again. So yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Hasten the demise. Yeah. But, I you, hear you. Again, you my, my condolences to you. I know this must be incredibly difficult. It's, like I said, it was about two years ago now. And I'm to a point where it's always going to be part of me. But. Mm. I'm moving on with my life and I, I mean, I have to, so yeah. Yeah. Good for you. But I want to say thank you for coming on. It's been an interesting conversation and I'm sure there's more that we could have talked about. Oh yeah, for sure. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. I had a great time. So that conversation kind of went all over the place, I think, but that's not a bad thing. I I think that when you have somebody that's as multifaceted and multi-talented, you can have many layers in a conversation. And while we talked about music and the creative process, we also talked about psychology and mental health. And I think as we discussed, creativity and psychology kind of do go hand in hand because it can start messing with you. It can mess with your mood if you're not doing what you need to be doing. So I think that when you're creative 
And if you are creative and you start realizing that you just don't feel quite right, pick up a pen and paper if you're a writer. Pick up a paintbrush if you're a painter. Pick up your guitar if you're a musician, if you play guitar or whatever instrument you play and embrace it. Let the, let the creativity flow. I think his visual album, I think it's going to be an interesting concept. I've seen the trailer and the trailer is actually in the show notes. So click on that link and you can check it out. Um, he, he is definitely a different artist. And I think that is, you know, when he he's doing what he wants to do and he's got fans that support him. And that is when you truly are embracing your passion. So today, try and embrace your passion. And on that note, if you have missed an episode of the podcast, you can check it out at thebetter2podcast.com. All our social links are there. If you want to be a guest on the show or you have a question, comment, or concern, you can be re- I can be reached at Donna, D-A-U-N-A, at better2podcast.com. That's Donna at better2podcast.com. And well, yes, it's been a little bit of a wild ride for me today. So on that note, I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, weekend, whenever you choose to listen to the show. And I'll see you next time, guys. Bye. The Better Two Podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Rich Zai of Third Ear Audio Productions. 